Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Um, if I've not met you, uh, my name is Jeff. Uh, my wife and I are honored to be the pastors here at Authentic Church. And uh, it is true, uh, we were uh, probably the only humans that moved from the state of Texas to California in the last three years <laughs> on just a simple yes. And, um, you know, we, we, we have kind of an old school approach that when the Lord speaks, we just do whatever he tells us to do, whether that's in his word and he's telling us or that's being led by his spirit and he speaks both ways. And so uh, we followed after God and, and that's been the recipe, the formula, if you will, uh, for our lives ever since. And, um, and you said yes. You said yes to being here today. And we're going to dive into the word of God. The word is what changes us. I, I never come to church to hear a man speak. And I've heard a lot of great speakers and communicators. But I always came to hear God speak. And, uh, and my hunger was always, man, Lord, you have something you want to impart to me today. And your word never returns void. So whatever you want to say, I just want to have ears to hear. So why don't we just pray for ourselves today, and then we'll dive into the word. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear from you today. I pray that we would have ears to hear from heaven today. God, that you would help us see things we never saw before. We'd understand revelation that we never understood before. I pray the light bulb would just go off. And Lord, I pray, God, that as, as we're gathered here in this atmosphere of faith, God, I pray that you would move throughout this entire time together. Holy Spirit, we don't just make some room for you. We give you the room. So whatever you want to do, we say yes. Whatever you want to say, we say yes. And God, we lean into your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, today um, we're going to be sharing on the biblical truths surrounding the conflict in Israel. And um, we're going to be answering some of the questions like, where did the conflict begin? Whose land is it anyways? Why should we care as Christians living over here in the United States of America? And then lastly, what, we, what can we do? And if you've seen the news lately, the horrific terrorist attacks on Israel, the retaliation, the military mobilization to that area of the world, the protests that are occurring all over the world with people that are pro-Palestine, people that are pro-Israel, you can just sense this weight of something that's happening in the earth. And um, I just want to, I'm going to recap a few of the facts as we know it, as of right now. Now, some of the things that I'm going to share, uh, you might not have heard of yet in the news. Uh, some of you in the room, you know that we have close friends that live in Israel, uh, that like their home is in Israel. They've lived there 15 years. Friends that were pastors and leaders in our lives said yes to the call of God and left a great paying position at a very established, incredible church up in Washington, and they moved their whole family to Israel when there was only a few hundred Christians. And they've seen the level of Christians grow, and they've seen God move, but it's not come without a price, without a cost. In fact, that particular family 
uh, their kids were raised in the school system in Israel. They went to Hebrew school. Uh, they learned Hebrew. They speak it fluently. It's incredible to hear the kids carry on conversations speaking in Hebrew. And uh, these incredible kids, they, uh, they now serve in the IDF. So they're in the, uh, in the IDF, the Israeli military, and uh, two of the boys are part of their elite uh, special forces unit. And then their daughter is actually, um, she's an officer and she's overseeing re- reconnaissance. And so uh, what we're seeing there today, really, it hits close to home. Uh, it hits close to home for our family. Uh, Casey Tate, who is a friend of this house, she's taught here many times. Uh, she actually uh, helps to be comprised as part of the overseers of Authentic Church. And uh, she happened to be there celebrating the high holy days when everything hit. And uh, so she has decided to stay there. Felt like God specifically placed her there for this hour. And uh, so I'm going to unpack some of that, but I'm going to go back through. I know a lot of you have seen the news, um, but I'm going to go back through and just remind us of a few things, some facts on the war. It was October 7th at approximately 6.30 a.m. on Saturday morning that Hamas terrorists from Gaza broke through the border and attacked Israel in the south. They came from land, they came from sea, and they even came from air as some paraglided in, armed with rockets, grenade, machine guns, and machetes. This occurred early on Saturday morning, which happened to be Shabbat, and it was at the conclusion of the Jewish High Holy Days. What are the High Holy Days? Every fall, the, the, the Jewish people, they celebrate what's known as their holiday season. Uh, they have all these festivals. There's seven feasts that you read about in the Bible, and they still celebrate them to this day. And they kind of, a, a number of the fun ones really collide in the fall. And it would be kind of like if you and I had celebrated Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, your birthday, New Year's, and Easter all in a two-week period of time. It's a lot of partying, right? And uh, at the end of it, they have their last Shabbat, their last Sabbath, where they rest before it's time to get back to work. And, and then they're going to head into a season of work. And so on that last Sabbath, which is usually the most restful time and kind of regrouping and you're sleeping in and enjoying the last kind of vacation day, if you will, you're about to go back to work, then this all unfolded. The people were vulnerable. They were relaxed and enjoying family time. And since it was Shabbat, many had their cell phones and other technology devices turned off. And in just a few hours, Hamas terrorists murdered over 1,400 people, and that number is growing. They took 200 hostages. And the stories of their barbaric, hate-filled, demon-possessed atrocity that they conducted, they did so while chanting Allah Akbar, our God is great, or the actual tense of it is our God is greater, greater than your God. Uh, What you saw was absolute evil. And we live in a day and age where you can't call evil, evil anymore. You get canceled for calling things that are truly bad and evil, evil. And the Bible talked about there would be a day that would come that those who did evil would say, oh, that's actually good. And those who do good, they'd say, oh, that's actually evil. And we're living in those days. And I would also say this, I would would question the moral compass of any person who does not recognize 
the actions of Hamas as evil. Now, we have friends that live in Israel. We have people that are Arab descent, Palestinian descent, and they live in Israel. And we have Jewish friends of ours that live in Israel. We have Christian friends of ours that live in Israel. And all of them would agree what happened on that day, on October the 7th, was hateful and it was murderous and it was evil. And in every war, you begin to see things that you wish you could unsee. And uh, there was actually stories of families that were murdered all together, huddling in their house, holding each other. There was horrific stories, which I'm not gonna go into for the sake of some of the younger ones here, where things were done to babies that was, it was, it was horrific, barbaric. And uh, every war has some faces of the war. And here's one of the faces of the war that I just wanna share with you. It's the um, Berdachevskis. And they uh, had a house that was just outside. It was east of the Gaza Strip area. And they had lived there. They had relocated there. And they had these two little twins. And um, they placed the twin boys when they heard the commotion and trying to make sense of what in the world's going on. And they heard explosions and gunfire. They took their babies, their twin boys, and they put them in the bomb shelter and, and tucked them in and shut the door. And little did they know that would be the last time that they saw their children. Because Hamas would come in and murder her and murder him. And 14 hours later, from the screams and the cries behind the door, the IDF agents came in and rescued those twin babies. And those twin babies, will never, they'll never have parents. They'll never grow up knowing what it was like. And hopefully they'll never even remember what happened. But this is the face of war. This is the face of what happens when evil begins to run rampant in the world and unchecked. It's one of the reasons why you cannot put up or negotiate with terrorists. A military versus a military action, that's war. When it comes to military versus civilians, that's terrorism. So what you see was terrorism, and the response has been into a war. So I, I want to I just kind of unpack a little bit of this, um, and I want to share on where the conflict began. There's so much conflict around this little strip of land that is about the size of Rhode Island. And I mean, it, it wouldn't even barely take up uh, a few counties of Southern California, this size of land. And they have a small population of only about 8 million people. And in this area, that area of land has been more contested, more fought over than any other piece of land in the world. And the question is, why? Why is it that land? I mean, when you think about all the land in the world and how beautiful the land is in all these different places, why is that one so contested? Why is it that piece of land? And it actually goes back to a conflict that began in Abraham's home. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this with you. It's Genesis 16, 11 through 12. And what had happened, let me just unpack this really quick. What had happened is you had a, we had a man named Abram. Abram later had his name changed to Abraham. And Abraham was given a promise from God 
that he was going to have many children. In fact, those children would so outnumber the other nations of the world that they would become their own nation. And the Lord told him one day, he said, he took him outside. He said, I want you to look up at the stars of the sky and count them if you can. And then another time he said, I want you to look at the sand of the seashore and I want you to count those as you can. And Abraham's like, I can't count that high. And the Lord says that you may not see it now, but that's how many descendants you're going to have. So Abraham held on to that promise. Well, years goes by, and him and his wife, Sarah, aren't able to conceive. And so they're like, okay, maybe, maybe the visitation, maybe, maybe there's something off. Maybe I didn't fully understand. So Sarah gets the bright idea to tell Abraham, he says, hey, I have my, my maiden, uh, my maidservant, uh, and I think you should just take her and that you should have a child with her. Maybe that's the way that we're supposed to have a child. How many know two wives is more than enough? That's too many, <laughs> okay? Bad things happen, <laughs> okay? So Abraham, dirty dog, he's like almost 100 years old and the maidservant was like 20. And so anyway, so dirty, dirty dog Abraham, he, he, he jumps into the sack and lo and behold, she ends up getting pregnant. And so then they have a child and, and the child's name is Ishmael. And since that day, there has been trouble in that land. In Genesis 16, 11, I think we have it. The angel of the Lord also said to her, said, uh, this is not to Sarah, but this is to Hagar. Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. And this is what is said of Ishmael. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. In other words, this guy is not going to live at peace. This guy is going to be wild. He is not going to submit. He, he's going to be at war with his brothers. Later on, the promise gets fulfilled. Abraham has his son Isaac. Isaac comes along, and the Lord reminds him, this is the promised child. So Isaac comes along, and, and Isaac is the gift from God. And there was actually times where Isaac's young boy, Ishmael, by the time Isaac came along, Ishmael was a teenager. So Ishmael is a teenager. Isaac comes along, and actually there's one scripture that talks about how Ishmael, who was a young man as a teenage boy, was making fun and mocking this little toddler, Isaac. That's a picture of what you still see to this day. The descendants of Ishmael are all over throughout the Middle East and Hamas are descendants of Ishmael. The Jewish people, the nation of Israel, are descendants through the lineage of Isaac. What I'm sharing with you here in the biblical text is, a, is showing you that this conflict, it's not something new. This is something that's old. And the war that you see in the land today began with a war in the home. And it's a good reminder to us, take care of your home. Own your own yard. What areas of your life are you compromising in? Don't give the devil a foothold in any area of your life. So the conflict in Israel is actually easy to explain, but it's hard to resolve. And I got two questions for you. The two questions I have is this. If tomorrow Israel laid down its arms and announced we will fight no more, what would happen? Just think about that. So there's war going on today. 
if, if Israel says, you know what, we're going to lay down our arms, we're not going to fight, no matter what you do, we're not going to fight, what would happen? Adversely, what if all the Arab countries of the world announced, we will fight no more? What would happen? If you can answer those questions, that gives you this simple understanding of this conflict. The fact is, if Israel laid down its arms and announced, we don't want to fight anymore, they'd be gone tomorrow. There would be bloodshed like you've never seen. It would be horrific. They would bury the bodies, burn the bodies, take over their land, burn down everything that they had, and they would move in. If all the Arab countries of the world were to lay down their arms and say, we're not going to fight anymore, what would happen? There would be peace in the land. That's the simplicity of this. So it's easy to understand, but it's hard to resolve. So why do I share this? I share this with you because while we love the Palestinians, while we love the Arab people, while we love the nations of the world, you have to understand that God has a plan for Israel. And so here in this church, I want you to know we stand as a people that love Israel. In fact, it's one of our unique characteristics or what we call our authentic attributes here, that we have a heart for Israel. We bless Israel through prayer and financially sowing into ministries impacting the Jewish people in the name of Yeshua. The first offering that we take that comes in Every single year, the first monies that come in and the first monies that leave our hands goes to bless Israel. Why? It's a principle in scripture. Let me unpack that for a second. Genesis 12, verse three. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I just want you to pause. This was a, this was a word that was spoken to Abraham. God told him, everybody who blesses you, I'm going to bless, and everybody who curses you, I'm going to curse. You take a look at that tiny nation of Israel, and you take a look at all the Arab nations that surround them, and you see these nations constantly cursing, while at the same time you see America, who's been a strong ally, that for the most part has blessed Israel. You take a look, what country would you rather live in? One of the neighboring countries there? Does that look like blessing? Does that look like freedom? No. And, and, and God bless some of the people that just have no idea. They're, they're joining in some of these protests and they, they're at Harvard and University of Washington and different places and they have these signs that are like pro-Palestine, free Palestine. Hey, look, we love the Palestinian people. We believe that they were created in the image of God. Of course we love them. But God has something special that he wants to do through Israel. And we're going to bless what God blesses. Deuteronomy 7, 6. I'm just going to give you a few of the promises of God as it pertains to Israel from his word. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 says this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. For the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possessions. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God chose them. They're chosen why did God choose them? They have, they have disobeyed him so many times. God's faithful to his covenant even when they're not faithful. God's faithful to you and me even when we're not faithful. The reason we stand with Israel isn't because they're perfect. 
and they're, they're not. It's not because they're perfect and they've been perfect in the whole situation over the last 50, 60, 70 years. They've not. One of the reasons we stand with Israel is because the Lord says, they're my treasured possession. Psalms 135 verse 4 says, For the Lord has chosen Jacob himself, Israel, as his own possession. You ever have that spot where maybe you, you grew up going and maybe it was a campsite or maybe your family did a vacation or uh, your grandparents' farm. I, you, you have a spot where you go to and it's just kind of like when you get there, like you can even breathe in and you can remember the smells from when you were little. Like, like I, I grew up going over to my grandparents' house. Uh, I thought my mom and dad were sending me out on a vacation. It was just really to be hired labor for my grandparents because they had an orchard. And my parents needed a break because three boys is pretty busy in the summertime <laughs> when you don't got school. So my parents would ship us out over there. And I remember running through the orchard, and uh, especially before harvest season, and, and, and it was a pear orchard. And of all the fruits, the, pear, the amount of sugar that's in it, like when you bite into an incredible ripe pear, it's, it's, it's like better than any man-made sugar that you can get. It's just so juicy and sweet. And I, I remember we would run through the orchards. I can even to this day, in this moment right now, I can smell what it was like coming through the orchards in the hot sun, and then it'd get really cold at night. It was a perfect place to grow uh, pears and perfect place to grow apples. And, and we, would, we would pick that off. And I remember sometimes with, when grandpa wasn't looking, we'd bite into one of those and take one of those good pieces of fruit before it could be harvested and shipped away. You know? And, and we, we would take a bite, and I, just, I can be back there in a moment. You have a special place like that. God has a special place too, and it's Israel. Israel, it's a special place, and the Jewish people are a special people to the Lord. Exodus 19.6 says, And you shall be to me a kingdom, of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people Israel. So the question is, whose land is it anyway? That's a popular discussion right now that's happening in the news. It's like, well, who, whose land is it? Who occupied it? Who had it first? Well, they had it first in the Ottoman Empire. And no, then they did it. And you got all this squabbling that's going on. And I just want to remind us, I'm going to unpack some of this in a biblical timeline here in a moment. But I want to remind us the, the, the fact that the Lord had spoken and promised this first to Abraham. And we're going to unpack that and share that. And what you're seeing today, it's not so much a physical battle for land. It is, but it's not so much that. What you're seeing today played out is actually a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. So whose land is it? So I'm going to jump in. We have a, a timeline that we're going to put up here, and I'm just going to walk through here. So we got Abraham. So if you could go back another 2,000 years, 4,000 years BC was when they estimate that Adam and Eve would have been on the earth. Okay, so Adam and Eve, and then 2,000 years later, you have the, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. Israel uh, becomes a nation. He has a bunch of sons. One of his sons is Joseph. Joseph is the unliked brother. So his brothers do what horrible brothers do, and they sold the dude into slavery. By the way, he gets sold into slavery, and who buys him? Descendants of his uncle, great, 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 great uncle Ishmael. So descendants of them end up buying him, and then they sold him. They bring him down to Egypt, and they sell him to Pharaoh. And Joseph grows up in Pharaoh's house, and when a famine hits the land, and by the way, a famine hits every single generation. Every generation is going to 
face a famine and a famine hits the land and um, Israel and his sons, they're running out of food. So they end up going down to Egypt because they heard that, that there was food down there. So they go down there to provide for themselves and they're reintroduced and they have this awkward family reunion with Joseph. And Joseph, they learn he's second in command. So God totally blessed him and promoted him. Now Joseph is second in command. So Joseph serves, the family's there, everything's great for 400 years. And then it wasn't great. And by the way, that, that 400 years stretch when they were uh, in captivity un, under the rule of the Egyptians as slave, that was also prophesied in the Bible back in Genesis. But during that time, God raises up a man named Moses in, in uh, about 1393, 13, late 1300s, 1400 BC. This is BC before Christ. Moses is raised up. So now Moses is raised up and he goes and he, the Lord uses him as a deliverer. And Moses is used by God to lead the children of Israel out of captivity. And, and, and Moses, if you look back through it, it was God's way of giving us a, a, a very easy to read sign that says, when the Messiah comes, this, these sort of things are gonna happen. So when Moses was leading the children out of Israel, out of Egypt, there was the last great plague. It was the Passover. And they had to take a Passover lamb and the blood of the Passover lamb over the doorpost signified to the angel of death, don't come into this house, pass over it. This one is reserved for the Lord. So Jesus was the Passover lamb. His blood over my life and your life means that the angel of death passes over that we don't have to face an eternity apart from God, but actually with God. And then you see when Moses leads the children of Israel through the Red Sea and it's parted when he leads them through, that's symbolic of you and I going into the waters of baptism and rising up new, free from the old life that we had. So they cross over the Red Sea and then they begin to go and settle into the different lands of Judah and Samaria, which are modern day Israel in Jerusalem. And then in 1020 BC, the Jewish monarchy gets formed with a king named Saul. So Saul, all the people, they're like, we want a king like all the other nations have a king. And God's like, this is not what I had for you. I have prophets and I have judges. That's how we're ruling. They said, no, we want a king. So God's like, fine. So they, their disobedience led to God finally saying, fine, I'll give you a king. And it was Saul. Saul, Saul was not a great king. After Saul, the king that he had for them was raised up and that was King David. And King David established Jerusalem as the capital city in 1000 BC. Okay, this is a thousand years before Christ. And then after that time, in 586 BC, they were, they were, they were disobedient to the word of God and they were disobedient to the ways of God. And then they were over, overran by the Babylonians. One thing to note. God is so merciful and kind that all throughout the Jewish history, when you see them obey and honor God, God honors them with blessing. When you see them disobey, God as a loving father comes and corrects them. When they don't listen to dad telling them what to do and correcting their behavior, then the punishment becomes severe. The discipline is more severe. The discipline got so severe, he said, fine, you don't want me as your God, then you can reap your consequences. And they get carried away into Babylon. And then they come back 70 years later, and then in 515 BC, Israel is reclaimed and the capital's done. And so then they're living again for God. And a few hundred years goes by, 400 years. And then the Romans come in and they defeat them because Israel, again, has walked away from living in accordance to the obedience of the word of God. 
And so this pattern is repeating itself. And so the Romans come in and rule, and when Rome is ruling, then Jesus comes. Right in the middle of that, Jesus shows up onto the scene, and he fulfills all these different prophecies, prophecies that were hundreds and hundreds of years old. Jesus fulfills them. We'll, we'll unpack those at Christmas time for you, okay? So Jesus comes, and his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension fulfills all these prophecies. It was about 33 AD when Jesus goes into heaven. During this time, over the course of this, scribes were writing down in great detail everything that was happening. Secular and sacred historians alike agree with what the Bible lays out in terms of what happened in the timeline. The scribes were so serious about taking the accounts and reproducing them perfectly that they would actually double check them multiple times. And if you were off or a letter had just a little bit of an extra mark, they would throw out the whole scroll that you worked on for months, gone. Because they were so strict to making sure that whatever got passed down was actually the correct word of God from the original scribes. Very, very strict. I'll come back to that in a moment. So Jesus comes, Jesus goes. During that time, the church is birthed. And then Paul gets saved and the church begins to expand. And one of the beautiful things is because of the Roman occupation at that time, Rome created all these roads for their chariots and their armies and everything else. What did that do? It allowed for the gospel to be able to go out quickly on foot, horseback, chariot as well to all these different parts of the world. So the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to spread in a beautiful way. But at the same time that it's spreading, there's wars that are going back in Jerusalem. And the people of God get marched on, the Jews get marched on by the Romans, and they defeat them in horrific fashion and destroy the temple. And then Christianity's growing, and you had, during that time, uh, you had different empires that came and, and different went. And, and, and then in 610, there's a guy named Muhammad that comes out. So 600 years approximately after Christ is a guy named Muhammad, 600 years, 600 years. And he claims that he had this epiphany in a cave where the angel Gabriel shows up to him. Let me just tell you, that was not the angel Gabriel. How do we know that? Because the angel, the angel that spoke to him told him things that were different than what the word of God said. And, and the Bible actually says that Satan will show up as an angel of light. So what he saw, what he encountered was actually a demon and he partnered with that. And 200 years after Muhammad lived through his lineage, he had a nephew and the nephew heard stories about his uncle and this encounter he had and he decided to write them down. So after him, 200 years later, Somebody is remembering stories that have been passed down through generations, not written text, not written by scribes, and he begins to transcribe them. And he writes what became known as the Quran. And in that writing, that's 200 years after Muhammad, he goes back to the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and says, no, Ishmael was actually the chosen son. Ishmael was the one that was led up on the hill. Ishmael was the one where the, there, there was the ram caught in the thicket when Abraham was about to sacrifice. That was Ishmael, that wasn't Isaac. And they begin to try to rewrite that. So you can see how this divide begins to happen. 
If only scholars would take the time to scrutinize the Quran to the level that the Bible has had scrutiny, I think you would see a lot of things dismissed very quickly. That's another message. So 610 Muhammad comes onto the scene, and what happens in that region, again, the Romans, after Jesus, in the fall of the temple, the Romans end up getting rid and the Jews are running for their lives. So they disperse. They go all over the world. They, they go to different parts of Europe. They go up into what would be modern-day Russia. They're over in, in parts of uh, uh, Asia. I know Russia's in Asia, but um, coming to the Far East areas. So they, anyways, they disperse. And then they go, not just north, but they also go south. And they just get out of town. During that time, um, in 636, the Arabs begin to rule that area. So all the people that were the, the, the Ish, Ishmaelites of that descent begin to rule that area. And then the Crusaders come in. And this is a really ugly piece of history for the Christians, people doing things in the name of God, were the Crusaders. And then during the Crusades, they take back that land. And then you had the Mamluk rule and then the Ottoman Empire, which is the most recent one that a lot of people talk about in the 1500s. 1500s to the early 1900s, the Ottoman Empire ruled that area. Now, when you say empire, it was a lot of tribes, families, et cetera, okay, until 1917. And then in 1918, the British Empire conquered them because the Ottomans took the wrong side in World War I. They sided with Germany. And after World War I, then they dispersed and the British came in and took over. Okay, I know this is a lot. Just stay with me. I'm going somewhere. So the British Empire takes over till 1948. And in 1948, Israel is reborn. Okay, so they're reborn as a nation. That's very, very, very important to understand that they got reborn at that time. Now, the, the people that were of the Ottoman Empire, they're descendants of Ishmael. And the, the Ishmaelites, um, through them, there was a lineage and there was a group of people that be, they began to call Palestinians. And some people wonder, where do I get that word from? Palestine actually comes from the word Philistine. Okay, let me unpack this. Palestine is the Greek translation for Philistine. The area contained the five cities, the Pentapolis, of the Philistine Confederacy. You had Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. And it was known as Philistia, or the land of the Philistines. It was from this designation that the whole of the country was later called Palestines by the Greeks. So when you wonder, where does that word Palestine comes from? It actually comes, the root of it is the Philistines. Has anybody ever heard of the Philistines in the Bible, right? Constantly at war with the people of God, right? David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. You would hear about them. The, the Israelites were trying to live in peace. The Philistines would come and attack them. The Philistines at that time, they had better military might because of the resources that was found in their land, which is more over on the seacoast, which is a lot of the area of Gaza where the, the attacks were from today. Okay, let me catch my breath. Israel, 1936 to present. Let me break this down. Okay. So Israel, 1936 to present. So the British Empire is controlling Israel, the, the, the land of Israel, Judah, J excuse me, Judea, Samaria, all the areas there that we know as common day Israel. And at that time, there was war that broke out. 
um, the Jewish people are kind of beginning return because after World War II, they're like, I want to get out of Germany. <laughs> like that's the last, I have horrible memories being here. My family's dead. My, my relatives are all gone. I don't have any connection to this land. I want to go back to where my grandfathers and my great-great-grandparents were. I want to go back to Israel. And because British were occupying it, British were allowing them free reign to be able to go back there and, 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 and be able to live and be able to settle and to be able to have a life. And so they do that. And in classic Jewish fashion, they begin to multiply. There's more of them. And, and then more of them begin to come. And so in 1936, there was this war that broke out. And during the course of the war, the British get together and like, man, there's this, these groups, this Jewish group that are not that many. And there's all these surrounding Arab countries, nation, the Palestinians, and they really want this land and they're fighting and it's bloody, it's ugly. And they're like, what is the cause of this? So they end up forming what was called the Peel Commission. You can go research that at a different time. And during the Peel Commission, they found, you know what would be best? What if we offered a two-state solution? That was the first time this was ever proposed, okay? The two, first time the two-state solution is proposed was 1936. So when people say, I'm, I just want you to be educated on this really quick. When people say, why don't they just give them the land. Look, Israel has tried to give them the land five times, and I'll unpack that for you. But it doesn't matter because one side wants the other dead. The other side just wants peace, right? Go back to the first two questions that I asked, right? If Israel laid down their arms, what would happen? They would die. If the Arab nations laid down their arms, what would happen? There would be peace. Okay, stay with me. So then, in, uh, so that's the first time. So the Jews actually accepted it. It wasn't a lot of land, but they at least got land that was going to be recognized as ours, theirs. So they said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. If this, if this would lead to peace, even though the Arab nations are going to get more, that's fine. And the Arabs reject it. They said, no, we don't want you here. Like, we control all of this. 1947. Now the United Nations gets involved, okay? And the United Nations says, we got to find a way to create peace in the Middle East, and so they end up getting involved and they come to a decision unanimously that they're going to present a two-state solution and they're the ones that get to draw it up this time. They present a two-state solution, the Jews accept it, and the Arabs reject it. That was rejection number two. And after that rejection, the United Nations says, Israel, we're going to recognize you. You're saying yes to everything. They're saying no. We'll go ahead and recognize, and we're going to recognize and protect you. We're going to offer you this two-state solution. They're saying no to theirs, but you can have yours. And in 1948, Israel was reborn, and Israel was recognized at that time as being part of the United Nations. That was 1948. What happened in 1948 is suddenly when Israel becomes a nation, word goes out all around the world. And the Jews, there's something on the inside of them that said, I want to go back home. I, I want to go back. They, they felt a pull, a holy pull from a spiritual standpoint. God was tugging on their hearts and it was time to come home. And so they began to travel back there. They began to move back there in droves. And uh, during that time between 1948 and 1967, it was tumultuous to say the least over there. There was terrorist attacks on their borders, in their homes, door to door. There was different things that happened, but it culminated in 1967 with what was called the Six-Day War, okay? At the end of the Six-Day War, there was all these Arab nations that were fighting against Israel. And man, against all odds, the, the little guy won, held them off. And that was the third time that there was a two-state proposition in 1967, 
there was the Arab League Summit. And so all the Arab countries, all the, all the leaders from the Arab countries, they met together in Sudan. And they met together for their own summit. And they're like, what are we going to do? And they reviewed the proposition that was made from the United Nations to them, begging them, would you just settle down? Would you just agree to peace? We've laid this out for you. We don't, look, I understand that you feel some rights to it. We understand how Israel feels rights to this land because of the generations from Abraham on up where they occupied it. And during that time, the, the Arab nations gave the th famous three no's, and the no's were this. They said, we will have no peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, and no negotiations with Israel ever. So again, this is the third time that they've tried to come together and offer them land. You can have it. We won't come in. We'll protect it. We'll, like, we want to live in peace, you guys. They said no. Okay. Continues on. Then in 2000, Israeli prime minister and the Palestinian leader at that time, um, who was Yasser Arafat, um, th they meet together. They meet together at Camp David uh, with Bill Clinton, okay? And Bill Clinton in, in the, the United States of America was just the neutral meeting ground. That was it. And they met at Camp David, and it was supposed to be this very peaceful time. And it's like, hey, let's just get together and talk. If we could get together and talk and just hear from all sides, I think we could come some sort of resolve. And during that time, again, it was offered. They were said, we will recognize Palestine as a state. Jew Jewish people were saying that. Hey, look, we will recognize you as a state. We're gonna give you all of Gaza. We don't want anything to do with it. Um, we'll give you all of Gaza. And we'll also give you 94% of the West Bank. West Bank is an area north of Jerusalem. I don't have a map today, so you'll just have to look that up. And we'll also give you East Jer Jerusalem and let you recognize that as your capital. We want peace. Can we come to an agreement? And Bill Clinton, one of his quotes from that time together meeting was, everything that we offered, Yasser Arafat would say no. He said no for 14 days. I don't know what else to do. So Israel goes away, and immediately what ends up happening is more suicide bombings where people would be martyred, which in their faith, that was the highest form of honor that you could have is actually if you committed suicide, dying in the name of your God, Allah, and also taking out a bunch of Jews. Like that, that's what they would do. So they would go door to door. They would get on buses, blow themselves up. You've seen it on the news, maybe growing up. That's what happened in the early 2000s. In 2005, it's not on here, but 2005, George Bush actually encouraged them uh, under the Bush administration, he encouraged them, Israel, I just want you to, you should give up, just give up Gaza anyway. You guys don't want it. It's not useful to you. It's causing more harm than good. Just do that, and maybe that will be a strong show of support for them, and then they'll come back to the table and, and work out peace. And so Israel pulls out in 2005. Do you remember what happened a few days after that? Hurricane Katrina hit the United States of America. There is a book written by, by a guy named William Koning, uh, K-O-E-N-I-N-G. Anyways, he wrote this book, Eye to Eye, and he shares 126 times when America tried to push Israel to give up land, and each one of those times resulted in some sort of natural catastrophe attack against America, every one of those times. And right now, over the last few days, our current president and administration has been pushing that agenda as well. So buckle up. So that was, in, that was in 2000. 2008, this was the fifth and final offer. 2008, the Israeli prime minister and the Palestinian leader, 
they got together and they met and Israel offered them, hey, we're gonna offer you everything we offered in 2000. The Palestinian state, you'll be recognized. We'll give you all of Gaza. We'll, we'll not even touch it. We don't want anything to do with it. 94% of the West Bank, East Jerusalem is your capital and we'll give you additional land. And they said, no. That was the last time, 2008. So that brings us up to 2023, where we're at now. And, you know, when you look at, you look at the, there's many Arab nations. I don't know if you realize this. People are like, what's the deal? Man, can't they just live in peace? Yeah, well, there's 21, 22, if you count Palestine as a state, there's 21 Arab nations. There's 21 Arab nations. There's one Jewish nation. So I'm not gonna get into fairness or colonialization or who, I'm not, but just look at these nations, 21 nations, and there's only one Jewish nation. The Jewish nation of Israel, they, they account for uh, every, I think it's 40% of the patents every single year, the new inventions come out of Israel. They are one of the most technologically advanced societies in the world. They make up 2% of the population, but they control such a massive amount of wealth. On the Forbes 400 list, 100 of the top wealthiest people in America are Jewish. How does that happen? It's unheard of. It's because God obviously has his hand on these people. Like to go from a nation that's been dispossessed twice and come back to be a nation? Like that's unheard of. Like that's unheard. A language, Hebrew, the language Hebrew, it was dead, dormant. Nobody spoke it for 1,500 years and now it's the national language. I mean, that's unheard of. God has his hand on them. They're, this nation is so incredibly blessed. And going back to Genesis, remember we talked about those who bless you will be blessed, those who curse you will be cursed. Here's the Arab nations. And I'm not here to knock Arab people or anything like that. I'm just looking at the facts, okay? Just, just go with me. Algeria, Bahrain, Comoros, Djibouti, Egypt, Iraq, Jordan, Kuwait, Lebanon, Libya, Morocco, Oman. I mean, the list goes on. Does, do you want to live in any one of those countries? No. Like they're, they're not walking in the blessings of God. So why should we care about this? We should care about this because God does. God cares about this. And what he cares about sh should matter to us that we should care about. You know, we, my kids, we talk about love and we talk about hate. And, you know, sometimes we use the word love like, oh man, I love that cheeseburger from The Habit, right? We just had it last night, the char burger. And it was amazing. I love that, right? Or gosh, I don't want pickles on my burger. I hate pickles, right? We use those words and, and I always correct my kids and I'll say, we, we only hate what God hates, okay? There's certain things that God loves and there's certain things God hates. Now, God loves all people, but he hates some actions. And the, that, that hate has been enraged. That, that anger of the Lord has been aroused. We care about what God cares about. And another reason we should care about Israel is because you look at all the Bible, it centers around Israel. America's not mentioned. Sorry for you guys that are you know, super pro-America, I'm pro-America, okay? But, you know, there's some that take it to a next level. America's not mentioned there. But we kind of are mentioned there because in the last days, there's gonna be a battle that gets, that's gonna take place, the battle of Armageddon, and all the nations are gonna come against Israel. And I think one of the things that's gonna push them to all come against Israel, which I, America will fulfill as part of that prophecy, they'll come against Israel, it's because they won't give up the land. I think that's gonna be, that's just my own personal thoughts. Jesus was born and raised in Israel. He died and rose again in Israel. And when he comes back, he's coming back to Israel. Joel chapter three, look at how much this just screams what's happening right now. 
Joel chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into my judgment with them there on behalf of my people, my heritage, Israel, because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. The Lord doesn't call it their land. The Lord calls it his land. So what do we do? We prepare and we pray. I I find it interesting that the day and hour that we live in, that America is so concerned about helping to shore up the utility and the, the borders and the ammunition and military power of Ukraine, and we're so focused on helping Israel shore up its borders with Gaza and the surrounding countries, yet we have massive open policy here in our own nation, in our own backyard. Just last week, I don't know if you heard about it, they had two Iranians that were on the the watch, the terrorist watch list, global watch list, that were arrested at the border. I don't know how they did that, facial recognition or something, but they arrested them at the order. There is a hatred that certain people have, Hamas, Hezbollah, in some surrounding countries, there is a hatred they have for the Jews and for America. So I want to encourage you. I'm not trying to strike fear in you, but I do want to encourage you to be prepared. I mean, I, I, would, I would rather be a warrior in a garden than a garden in a war, gardener in a war. I would rather be a warrior in the garden than a gardener that f- suddenly finds himself in a war. So be prepared. I mean, it always makes sense just to have a good stockpile of a couple of weeks worth of food, rice and beans. Come on, we live in California. You can get that easy. <laughs> it, just, it just makes good sense to have some water stocked up. It just makes good sense to have some Second Amendment rights available in your home. Like, you know, it just makes good sense just to be prepared. God forbid that what's happening in Israel happens in America but the whole world right now feels like a powder keg and a ticking time bomb. Some people ask, is Jesus coming back soon? (laughs) You know, one person asked me last week, they're like, be honest, man, come on. Do you think he's coming back soon? And I said, he's one day closer than yesterday. (laughs) I'll get into the prophetic time clock in a later message, but there is a lot that coincides with Israel being formed as a nation in 1948. There is a generation that is raised up before the day of the Lord. And we'll, we'll unpack that later. A few things that I want to encourage you as the family of God, as Christians, I want to encourage you to turn away from certain things in this hour. And, and number one, I want you to turn away from fear. Uh, fear is real. It will rob you. It can destroy your faith. It can keep you from living the life that you have. Terrorism at its root is fear. Because if they do enough terrorist acts and you don't respond, well, then that just gives them free reign to do more terrorist acts until you do respond. The other thing is if they keep doing terrorist acts, then you become afraid of actually doing things and living your life. So they win either way. I want to encourage you to live your life. Be prayerful, be spirit-led. But don't give in to fear. I mean, in in Hebrews 10.25, the writer of Hebrews encourages the church, don't stop meeting together like some people are doing. No, I want to encourage you, keep meeting together. Now is the hour when you need to get together more. 
the writer that wrote that, he wrote that when Christians were being hung, crucified, killed, where they were going in, dragging them out of, out of their homes, killing them, putting in piles, and then burning them as human torches to light the pathways of the city. That was happening. And the writer of Hebrews says, even though that's happening, don't stop meeting. There's power when we come together. Some closing thoughts here. The war that we see in the land of Israel began with war in the home. It began with war in the home. Do not give the devil a foothold in your home. Whatever it is right now, I just, I just want to ask us, is there anything that's in your life, in your world, where you have given the devil a foothold in your home? Is there a habit? Is there a relationship? Is there something secret that nobody knows about but you? And right now, even as I'm saying it, it's coming to your mind. The Lord says, I'm bringing it to your mind because I want you to get rid of it today. So you repent of that. Don't give him a foothold in your house. You you don't want to eat the fruit that happened with Abraham, with Ishmael before he got his Isaac. And the second thing is, worship breaks the power of the enemy. Worship breaks the power of the enemy. Worship is so important. By the way, worship, when we start worship at 10 a.m. here, that's not like the warm-up for the message, okay? Worship is where we're getting together and we're praising God and we're worshiping Him and we're taking time out of our full week and we're saying, God, you have blessed me with so much. The least I could do, my reasonable response is to come into your house and lift my voice and sing, to lift my hands in worship and to say, you are God and I praise you for who you are and I worship you in spirit and in truth. Worship breaks the power of the enemy. I want to end with this story. In 2 Chronicles, there was, there was war that was coming on the, the people of Israel. The, the nation was divided. They had Israel in the north and Judah in the south. It was a time that was known as the divided kingdom. And in Judah, you had a guy that was reigning. His name was Jehoshaphat. And he gets word that all the armies are coming against him. And he's, he's in anguish. He's like, there's no way that we can stand up to them. We don't have the military might. We don't have the people. We don't have the power. We feel defenseless. We feel hopeless. So they all got together and they had a prayer meeting. And then in the course of the prayer meeting, as they're having that time of prayer, as they're having that time of worship, the word of the Lord comes. And the word of the Lord, oh man, it's so important that you get the word of the Lord for your day, for your life, for your week, for your month. I'm delivering to the best of my ability the word of the Lord for our house today. But you need a word of the Lord for your house tomorrow. You need to spend time with God. You need to get in his word. You need to spend time praying and sitting at his feet and saying, Lord, what do you want to say? And so they do that and the word of the Lord comes and strengthens and encourages them that he's going to fight the battle on their behalf. And so Jehoshaphat, he, he, it says in verse 21, this is Second Chronicles chapter 20, it says when he had t- taken the counsel with the people, he appoints those who were to sing to the Lord and to praise him in holy attire. So they got dressed for the occasion. They're like, we're going into battle and we are going to be looking good, man. We are coming in our holy attire. We're holy to God. If we die, we die, but we're going to go down praising him. And they praise him in holy attire. And as they went before the army, so the singers, the worship team is out of front. And as they go before him, they sing, they sing this. Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For his steadfast love endures to all generations. It wasn't his steadfast might. It wasn't his steadfast strength. 
It wasn't his steadfast justice that he's going to pronounce on them. No, it was his steadfast love. These other nations rise up and they come with their military might and their their machetes drawn and they're butchering people and they're doing horrific things. And the people of God rise up and say, no, if the Lord does not fight for us, then we're fighting in vain. If the Lord's not watching over us, the watchman waits in vain. So give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And then watch what happens as they worship. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent an ambush against the men who had come against Judah, and they were routed. They were routed. If you're here today and you're facing what feels like an enemy, or you're feeling a little bit defeated, I want to encourage you to lift up your eyes, lift up your worship, lift up your praise, crank up the worship music. If you don't have worship music, we have a playlist. You can look up Authentic Church OC on Spotify or on Apple Music, and you can download an awesome worship playlist with songs that we sing a lot here on Sundays. And let that be an anthem that helps you. And as you begin to sing along with it, something goes where it's not just Christian karaoke, where you're singing some songs with some guy on a radio, but suddenly it becomes worship from your heart and you begin to encounter him. And as you do, he's going to give you victory in that area of your life. Amen. Let's all stand as we close today. I know I've gone a little bit long. I'm going to dismiss you and especially you incredible parents with those incredible kids. I want to pray for us today. And every Sunday, we always want to make a, a time for any person that does not yet know Jesus, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, and what I mean by that is if if you were gonna pass away today, if today was the last breath you breathed, do you know 100% that you'd be in the arms of Christ? Do you know 100% you'd be going to heaven? And if the answer is not an overwhelming yes, I know that I'll be in heaven, I know. If it's not yes, that you know 100%, and the reason why, which I'm going to give you in a second, today you need to get right with the Lord. And he's given you an invitation. It's simple. It's an invitation that was given to me and everybody else that's in this room. It's an invitation from Christ. This is Romans 10 verse 9 says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, man, I believe you. I'm declaring Jesus, you, you are Lord and Savior. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It's that simple. It feels too easy. I know. It feels too simple. I know. God is that good, gracious, and kind. And just as he has been gracious and kind with the nation of Israel, even in the middle of their disobedience, he was always faithful to draw them back every time they called on him. If you're here today and you need to call on the name of the Lord, I'm telling you, God is going to be faithful. He's going to wipe away any shame. He's going to wipe away any memory of any horrible things that you've done, thought of, said. What is, It's going to be, you're going to experience newness of life. And it's not emotionalism. This is a spiritual thing. You forget that you are a spiritual being having a human experience on earth. You're not a human being that has a spiritual experience with God. You are a spiritual being first. And your spirit is going to be made right with God. And so if you need to make the Lord, Jesus the Lord of your life today, you just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the Savior. 
and I'm asking you, would you forgive me? Forgive me and wash me clean of everything I've ever done. Make me new. I want to have that relationship with you that I'm hearing about. I want to walk with you. I want to know you more. I want to, I want to actually get to know you and read the Bible and have it make sense. Would you help me in that? And if you're praying that, Jesus is saying, welcome home, son. Welcome home, daughter. I love you. And he doesn't want you to live as an orphan anymore. He wants you to live as a child of God. So we have Bibles over here. And we we have a little connect card that we'll just have you fill out. And we're going to help you with just a few practical next steps. Just to kind of coach you in this new walk with the Lord. So if that's you, the table's right over here to my right. And after church, you can just come over and grab a bag and fill a card out. Love to meet you if you're making that decision today. And every Sunday, we always make time to pray. So if you're here and you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer maybe for fear with all the craziness in the world, let's pray and let's come together in faith that that fear is gonna be broken off of you, amen? If you're here today and you're struggling with a a relationship and maybe it looks a little bit like an Ishmael situation and you're just like, I need the wisdom of God here, we wanna pray with you. If you're here today and you're struggling in some areas financially and you're believing God and hoping that things are gonna come together, we wanna pray with you. If it's on your mind, if it matters to you, it matters to God. And he wants to come and speak to you and meet with you right now in this situation. So if you need prayer for anything as we close, we're gonna have prayer team up at the front and they've been praying for you and for this moment all morning. And we'd be so honored to pray with you. There's something so beautiful. I remember the first time that I came forward for prayer at this little church. And dude, I was so nervous. I was like sweating buckets. I'm like, this feels weird. And I came forward and I asked for prayer. And man, I left feeling like 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Why? Because faith filled my soul. Faith was breathed into me. Hope was breathed into me. And if you're here and you just need a little bit of, God wants to breathe some faith and hope into you. Amen. Amen. Let me pray a blessing over you and then we'll close out. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, your word is life, God. And I I pray, God, right now for every person under the sound of my voice, God, that, that we would walk in your ways all the days of our lives and dwell in your house forever. God, that you have put us on this planet for such a time as this. You've fashioned us for a purpose. You've called us. You're equipping us. And so, Lord, we just say yes to you. Whatever our yes looks like, we say yes. I pray that you would speak to every person here, God, as they go about their week. I pray that we would be armed with the word of God on the subject of Israel and the conflict there. And God, I pray that we would walk in love. And if we need to correct anybody or encourage anybody and even challenge anybody, God, that we would do so in love with that spirit of humility. The last thing our world needs more of right now is pride-filled people that just have all the answers and I'm right and you're wrong. That's the last thing we need. We need humble, kind, servant-hearted people. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be that people, that we would walk in kindness, humility, love, so much grace. Grace for the ones that don't see things the same way we do. Grace for the ones that have walked away from you. And God, we pray for the salvation of Israel today. We pray that they would not put their, they would not put their hope in a military might. They would put their home in Yeshua, 
Jesus Christ, the God of Israel, that they would put their hope that they are returning to the Lord. God, we pray for a returning for Israel, that they would come back to God, that they would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. For we know that until both sides of this conflict know Jesus, there will be no peace in that area. So we pray in accordance with your word and we declare every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God, for those that are making a commitment today, Jesus is Lord in my life. For those that are making that commitment, I pray you'd strengthen them. I pray that that wouldn't be a quiet decision. I pray that they would shout it from the rooftops and social media. I pray that they would share it with their friends, family, and neighbors. And I pray, Father, that today that their, their feet would get set on the word of God and they would get planted in this house. I pray your blessing upon your people today, God. Thank you for your word. It's life to us, God. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God praise for today? For more on. information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.